Before we begin, we'd like to note that the views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or any of its components, including the U.S. Army, Navy, and Marine Corps, nor do they represent the views of any other agency of the U.S. government. listening to Combat Exclusion, where we explore the realities of the U.S. military's gender integration efforts. I'm Chandler, former Army officer and 2017 West Point grad. And I'm Johanna, an aspiring judge advocate and 2018 West Point grad. Thanks for joining us. For me, it's kind of unique in that my first assignment, I started off, I actually replaced the female platoon leader and I was under a female company commander and a female battalion commander. Making people feel like they matter, it goes a long way to to making service to our nation a, a valuable experience. Hello everyone, welcome to today's episode. Today we are with Lieutenant Colonel Frederick. He is currently serving as the Professor of Military Science at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. He has served as several levels of Army leadership throughout his career, from company grade to battalion executive officer, including his time as a company commander under our recent guest, Brigadier General Jason Kelly. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me. Sir, we're, we're really excited to have you on board. Um, it's certainly great to have, a, have, have you here. So um, we're going to just start with you and, and let you um, introduce yourself, um, talk about your military career and some of your experiences um, with gender integration prior to the combat exclusion policy being lifted? I grew up, uh, both of my grandfathers were World War II veterans. And so, you know, I was lucky enough to grow up with just sort of a, a great respect for service to the nation. And so that appealed to me from a very young age. And so I, you know, signed a, or worked for an ROTC scholarship when I was in high school and signed on. Uh, and so I attended Illinois Wesleyan University and commissioned through the Illinois State ROTC program. And so over the last 17 years, I've been able to serve in five different countries on three continents. Uh, it's been really a privilege to lead, um, you know, the men and women of the United States Army. I've commanded twice an engineer detachment and then the uh, combat engineer company, uh, which is largely what I think we're here to talk about today and the female platoon leader that I deployed with. Uh, and, and I've served in you know, a number of leadership and staff roles, uh, both operational and then the, the institutional army. Uh, you know, and throughout my career now, uh, it's, it's been a diverse team. And so I've been pretty lucky uh, just kind of to, to start off um, under, you know, a, a unique group of individuals and uh, kind of sets you up for success to, to integrate as the, the Army has changed and uh, perhaps matured a little bit. Yes, sir. So obviously the scope of your career covers quite a few stages of gender integration. Can you talk about the overview of just whether there's an increasing presence of female leaders with you who are peers or under you um, and what that's looked like? So uh, for me, it's kind of unique in that my first assignment, I started off, I actually replaced the female platoon leader and I was under a female company commander and a female battalion commander. So I have a different kind of perspective for most uh, engineer officers in the sense that, that my like, exposure to female leadership and, and female junior officers started really early on, right? And so that definitely shapes your appreciation for it. As you come in, you get a positive experience out of the gate, then um, how you view the rest of the Army changes and in a good way. 
And so for me, it's difficult to say I've seen a change because it's just, it's what I started off with. Like my first assignment was female leadership. My second assignment, one of the two battalion commanders was female. Um, and then, you know, going into the company command, my counterpart that commanded a, the other uh, company, Latoya Manzi, was, you know, she had a rock clearance company. And then, you know, I had, I was lucky enough to have two female platoon leaders at the start of my time in command. So I haven't seen a lot of changes per se, but I, I think I just started off on a on a good note and that's persisted throughout my career. Well, I mean, that that's really incredible to hear that from an like from your earliest times as a lieutenant, you had that exposure and it, it sounds like it did make a difference to you. So um, we want to talk about that um, and that as a company commander, General Kelly mentioned that you had several female platoon leaders in positions that weren't necessarily coded for men uh, or that weren't coded for women. Um, could you tell us what that looked like as a leader stepping into an organization and having um, women serving under you? So uh, I took over the company probably three to four weeks after we got a deployment order uh, to go to Afghanistan. So we had about six months to get ready to go when I took over uh, and the, there was just a significant change. So I basically brought with me um, four of the six officers that were going to be in there. So one of them, um, Brittany Hine became one of the PLs. Uh, Randall Wintermantle was already there. She was one of the PLs. Uh, And then I brought uh, a couple of the other guys down from the S3 shop. So Shortly after I took over, two of the three uh, PLs in the mobility augmentation company were female. Um, and then as we got closer to the dip board, we got force capped and had to retask organize. Uh, and so um, Lieutenant Wintermantle ended up not being able to deploy. And so I had um, one female, one male uh, platoon leader that I deployed with. Uh, and, you know, Brittany, so she set a really high bar you know, across the, the board for, for a lot of really good reasons, right? Um, she was, if I remember correctly, the number one lieutenant in our battalion for three straight years. Um, so absolute rock star, right? Became, later became an aide-de-camp. But, you know, to, to her credit, you know, and really to the entire organization, the team that I was lucky enough to, to be with, like no one ever, it was never a thing that she was a female in combat, right? Like when I had to send a platoon to go, uh, support a directed operation for a squadron, right? Brittany Hine was the one that I tagged. She goes, and then because she's the most competent individual on the ground, ends up controlling air operations in support of a, you know, a directed squadron level um, maneuver. And then, you know, we had a company that was pulled offline for some various reasons. And so, again, I had to send a platoon leader to go operate independently. And that was Brittany Hine um, going for about four weeks, she was out at a remote installation, um, about 150 kilometers from the company headquarters, just doing, um, just doing amazing things and, and setting a high bar for everyone else to, to emulate. So I didn't have a lot of challenges, but I think that's a lot of a credit both to her and then the team that I had, right? Like everybody was on board. It didn't matter, you know, the, the coding of the position or whatever, what mattered was that we had competent leaders who were engaged and cared about each other as peers and the subordinates, right? Everybody was working towards a, you know, a collective goal to, to accomplish the mission and do so effectively and, you know, take care of everybody and bring each other home. Uh, I don't know if that completely answers your question, but it was just a credit to her and the team, right? Like I had a great group of people. And so there was never, 
friction with having a female platoon leader. And then she later became my XO, right? So number one XO out of 11 companies in the battalion. I mean, just, she's just a phenomenal officer, but there, it wasn't just her, right? Because the entire team embraced her role. Um, It it was just, it didn't matter that she was female or male in the, the common engineer company. Something that we're, we're finding across the board is that when there's an inclusive, good environment that is good for all of the service members, a lot of the times women don't face as many challenges because, because everyone's, like you said, just supportive of their leadership and their peers. So it's great to hear that even prior to the repeal of the combat exclusion policy that this was already kind of happening within, within your unit, which was a combat engineer unit. With that said, since it was a combat engineer unit, um, 12 Bravos at this time, I'm assuming you didn't have any female 12 Bravos. Was there any adjustment for the soldiers themselves? And if you had enlisted women within your ranks, what was what was their experience? So I had one other female NCO. She was my senior medic. So again, we're conducting route clearance operations, leading, you know, village clearing efforts, clearing in. Um, so searching for IEDs and clearing the way in for maneuver elements. Uh, and so, you know, I had my senior medic would be out there with the guys. So if there's a casualty, right? Like she's, she's running point to, to respond and take care of everybody. Um, I, I think there was probably a little bit of adjustment at first for the, for the, like the younger soldiers, just because it's a dynamic change from, you know, the leadership that they knew that they had just deployed under, which was all male to then bring in essentially an entire new officer structure. So I don't know that it was a change just because we brought in female leadership, but it was um, a change in the sense that other than Lieutenant Wintermantle, so he was already there. The the rest of the officers were all brand new. Uh, and so for them, like there's just a it, culturally, like there's a change when you bring in new people, regardless of gender. Um, but I, I don't know that they really had a, a big adjustment due to gender. Now, I would say um, the senior medic, right? I think it was empowering to her to see a highly successful female officer around. Um, and then she became, you know, the the confidant, if you will. So she was our sharp coordinator in the, the company and became kind of the confidant, sort of like the mental health piece going beyond just being a 68 whiskey a medic, right? She was kind of the glue that kept the organization together as we, you know, transitioned through combat operations. Um, and, and she embraced that role. And I don't know that that's so much gender to you, but she was also like a mother of five, um, you know, in her early forties. So significantly older than most of us at the time. And so it was kind of like the, parenting aspect of it as much as it was like being empowered by you know other strong female leaders in the organization yeah I, so i really like hearing about how um you know the way that your team operated the and the challenges they faced weren't necessarily about it being women being added to the workplace it was just like a, any team changes and has to go through that forming storming norming anytime new people come in and i think that's a really important thing to highlight when we're discussing gender integration is that there's going to be challenges regardless of whether you're a man or a woman coming into a new leadership role. So I appreciate you highlighting that and kind of showing that any team's going to go through a transition anytime you bring new people in. Um, and so my follow-up question is, you know, what has it been like for you to witness the female officers that you had in your unit, either 
go on to become company commanders in fields that have been previously closed off to them? And then also, have you witnessed any challenges among your female peers, like within your peer group? Um, And what what, what does that look like as they've transitioned from their platoon leader role to today? So it's certainly really rewarding, you know, like looking, going back to like Brittany Hine, right? She's um, just recently promoted to major serving in the reserves now. Um, So She's, she's had a successful career and done gone on to do really great things. Um, uh, actually, she she just got married to so her and her wife have kind of finished up their uh, their honeymoon. And so, like, it, it's nice to see people go be successful and be happy and like you know find balance between the army and the personal life. Um, so, so seeing her her success professionally personally is really rewarding. Um, you know, I hear anecdotal pieces of like my peers' challenges, but um, I haven't really directly observed those challenges. Um, you know, again, I've been very lucky throughout my career to be surrounded by a lot of really successful high powered people. And so I look like, you know, the, the women that I went to the career course with are currently in battalion command, the, you know, uh, Latoya Manzi, who I had company command with is currently in battalion command. Uh, so, I don't, if they've, if they had challenges, I wasn't privy to them. Uh, and so I've really, what I've been privy to is like seeing their success and their effective, you know, leadership, uh, effective leadership roles that they've taken on. Yeah. So it is, it is great to hear that from your perspective, women have been omnipresent in your career. And I think that's kind of allowed you to be a successful male mentor for, for these junior officers, which is which is a great narrative. I'd like to kind of pivot the conversation a bit to the work that you're doing today as an as a professor of military science for an ROTC program. So obviously you're interacting with our future junior leaders within the army. Um, what has it been like insofar as this is now post-gender integration? What has it been like mentoring young cadets of, bo- of both sexes? Uh, frankly, it's, it's incredibly rewarding. Uh, you're you get to be surrounded by passionate, motivated people uh, who are well positioned to be shaped uh, for future success. So it, it really is a privilege to be in the position that I'm in. You know, like you have to compete and be selected to be a professor of military science and then to get the opportunity to to shape future leaders, not just of the military, right, but of our society, because as both of you are experiencing, right? You, you go on beyond the military and uh, you take on leadership roles and try to shape the world to be a better place. And so it's, it's really, it's an exciting time uh, to be able to do that in their lives, right? Cause they've, they've chosen a path, but that path is still flexible. Uh, they can go active duty guard reserve. Maybe they don't stay in the program, but you provide exposure to like what a good leader mentor is. If they're only with you for two years, there should still be dividends to that. Um, you know, so, so that, that part, the enthusiasm, the excitement, the opportunity to shape them is really, really rewarding. And, you know, the other thing too, is like, you get to help people, uh, discover who they are. Right. So you take them through sort of the challenges of growing as an adult. Uh, so one of my cadets, um, she was here. So cadet Smith, her, she had a, a death in the family, a real close family member while she was here. Uh, doing summer training. And so we talked and uh, she was considering 
heading back and not finishing the, the training here. And ultimately she made the decision to stay. And I got a note from her uh, the day before they graduated. And she was like, you know, this has been really, what did she say? It was, she's, she's was proud of her accomplishments and like learned more about what she could do that, you know, beyond what she ever thought she could do. And so to like, see, like, even that, like in the three weeks, right. Like I, I got to observe like a, a growth in her capabilities uh, and so like now you see, okay, now she's, she's appreciative of what overcoming a challenge can do. And so then when you unleash her on the army, right, like she's going to be able to shape and mold the next generation of people and help them kind of coach them through like, Hey, I've, I've survived a tough life experience. And it's, there's, there's good to be had if you kind of buckle down and work through it. Uh, so it, it's, it's just really, it's an awesome, awesome experience to be around the cadets. Yes, sir. I, I certainly relate to that. Now, for our listeners out there, um, UNCC is part of Task Force Palmetto, and I previously served as the patent intern at South Carolina State. So, um, mentoring cadets is is um, one of my you know passions and something near and dear to my heart. So it's it's awesome to see that you know across the board. That's certainly the experience of of leaders in the RTC community. And and as a pen intern, one of my mission sets was to increase minority accessions into combat arms. And I, I kind of ran into challenges and different, you know, different problem sets to overcome in that sphere. So how have you seen um, that emerge in your cadets, uh, especially among young women who are considering combat arms? Have you seen any challenges or interests in going combat arms? And if so, what does that look like for them? So we haven't really had... Um... We haven't really had a lot of that yet in the program. So that that's actually been a big talking point amongst the PMSs, uh, not just the diversity amongst combat arms, but the diversity amongst the officer corps in general, right? And General Kelly and I have had this conversation too, right? It, it's, uh, again, going back, like, I mean, you guys are lucky enough to, to talk to him, right? He's just a phenomenal human being and an amazing army leader. Uh, it, you know, I couldn't be more grateful for the opportunities I've had to serve with him, but his, you know, we, we've discussed it. It's, it's a challenge for the army in, in general to, to create a more diverse officer corps. And you guys are clearly focused on, a, you know, several pieces of that, uh, both, you know, diversity, but that doesn't just define right gender. There's a whole bunch of pieces of diversity there, um, socioeconomic classes, ethnicity, whatever. Uh, but that's a it's a challenge for the army, and it's something that the PMS is like. We've we've spent some time discussing is like how do we how do we target it to make it get the message out so that people understand that it's a viable career for you, regardless of your background. Because it's really hard when you look across an organization and nobody looks like you. It doesn't really feel like that's where you should be, uh, and so. You know, some of it has been like, uh, like actively discussing with PMSs to, so like having a female as part of the cadre or having, you know, someone of African American or Hispanic descent as part of the cadre to, to like just present a more diverse image because there's, there's comfort in people that are like you. Uh, And then showing like, this is a viable career and you can be successful in what you do that way. So that's, it's been a challenge, right? I, I, and I, there's no perfect solution to it, but it's certainly been something that we actively discuss and try and address um, across recruiting efforts, and then also just how we shape what are the the demographics of our cadre when we go through the AIM process, the assignment interactive module, like how we select 
individuals to come be part of our team. It's encouraging to know that those conversations are being had at the at the very entry level for junior officers, right? Because it means that this is our long-term goal and we're taking very early initial steps toward that goal. With that said, what is something that you think the Army and I guess the ROTC program as a subset of that is doing well to kind of encourage that diversity within combat arms? And what is something that you think that they could do maybe a little bit differently that would improve those numbers? So from I'll, I'll start on the improvement part, just because I think it's, you're, you guys have probably seen the, the extensive recruiting challenges that the Army has had in uh, FY22, right? Like fiscal year 22, where, we are at risk of, of missing our desired end strength by tens of thousands of soldiers, right? So there is a messaging piece, right? Every generation has different things and why they serve, right? And so figuring out what this next generation of individuals need to be motivated and inspired to serve our nation is, is a challenge the Army is going through right now. Um, and and it's, it's always harder to recruit when the economy is good because right? people can get jobs elsewhere. And so then the, the benefits of military service and the, the ability to, to dynamically change your socioeconomic status in a single generation, right? I mean, it's one of the greatest institutions in the history of the world for socioeconomic improvement. But in a highly competitive economic environment, it's very difficult for that message to resonate because people can do that easily outside the military right now. Um, so, so part of that is, is messaging, right? We have to change the way we approach people because the old, the idea of like going door to door, like knocking, you know, phone calls, that's, that's not how people communicate today, right? Like you guys probably both have like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and uh, what, TikTok. And, you know, those are, those are how most people like from 15 to 25 communicate. I would venture to say that most people in that age group would also say the army's not very good at Instagram and TikTok and messaging why you should want to be a part of our organization. So I don't know that I'm really answering your question about diversity and how we improve it so much as like, we have to change fundamentally the way we try to appeal to the citizens of the United States and the, the people that want to be citizens of the United States to come and serve our nation um, regardless of, of what their, you know, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation is like, right. We have to be, we have to find a way to effectively message why it matters to be a part of our organization and to what we're doing well. So BCAP, right. The battalion commander assessment program, I think the army has recognized we have to have quality leaders. We have to deliberately select people who deserve the privilege to lead our soldiers. Right. And if you're not going to be someone who is invested in those individuals and you're going to display counterproductive leadership and, you know, treat people poorly. And again, some of that manifests itself, right? Like you get people who are, you know, racists or, you know, just generally discriminatory behavior, but the BCAP process should start to weed that out because we are deliberately selecting individuals who deserve to lead. So I think that is one thing that we were doing really well. 
I just want to clarify that I, I still fall on the cusp of being a millennial, so no TikTok for me. But I definitely think that that challenge across the board is something that the Army is recognizing, which is just that you have to appeal to a youthful group. It's not even necessarily about these subsets of gender or racial diversity or whatever else it might be. Um, and then I, I like that you mentioned the BCAP program because something that we're, we're hearing regularly when we ask this question with other people is that toxic environments or poor command climates are more impactful than necessarily someone's experience because of their gender or because they're a minority or because they're, they're just different from the regular default of the army soldier. It's more so that healthy command climates breed retention, which seems really obvious, but um, I think it's insightful still that the Army is improving those processes and has a vested interest in doing so. And Sarah, I appreciate it. And, you know, just going back to something you said, and I'm sure you've talked to General Kelly about this because we certainly did. But the fact that you mentioned like building a bigger pool of people, like going after that talent across the board, if you build a bigger pool, you'll naturally matriculate leaders that deserve to be there because you're, you know, casting the net wider and so you're grabbing more people. And so I think that that building a good pool of people and, and going after that talent is super important. And I love that you mentioned it. And then something else you said that I, I, I definitely relate to, especially in my conversations with the cadets, is the viable career option and messaging that going combat arms or joining the army is a viable career. Um, I had a lot of cadets tell me that, oh, I just, I don't think combat arms is for me or uh, the combat arms doesn't have any career options. And and there might be some truth to that, you know, being a, being a boom, boom gun bunny is a little different than being a logistics officer, but it, it still teaches you like super valuable lessons in leadership. So I think it's that messaging portion to help young cadets and, and young leaders know that there is a viable career in that. So I appreciate you pointing that out because that's certainly something I ran into a lot is trying to get cadets to think that the army is, especially the, um, the non-contracted ones is to see the army as a career option. But yes, sir. Thank you so much. Um, we'll go ahead and hand it over to you if you have anything you'd like to close with. This has been really great hearing from not only your personal experience ac across your career, but also as someone who is seeing the new generation of junior officers come to fruition. Yeah, so I appreciate you guys, you know, taking the time to talk with me, uh, and, and I would encourage, you know, you and anyone else to continue to engage with you know, high quality leaders. I and mean, we talked a little bit about uh, Major General Diana Holland, Brigadier General Jason Kelly, like Major General Dave Hill would be another one. He was our brigade commander when I was a company commander. So um, people like that, right, are what matters, like amazing leaders who make, inspire people to do tough things, right? That's, I don't think it's about gender or race, right? It's about making everyone feel valued regardless of their background and then giving them a reason or a motivation to do better than they think they could. Uh, and so, you know, you look back, again, you, know, you know, General Holland, General Kelly, General Hill, just truly like inspirational people that shaped how I operated. I guarantee it shaped how, you know, now major Brittany Hine operated um, and the, the literally hundreds and thousands of people that they've crossed. And so yeah, as you guys continue this, you know, podcast and efforts to, to promote diversity, you know, I think my guess is, and my hope is that you find that what works and, and what makes 
diversity successful are inspirational leaders who care, right? Regardless of what their gender background is um, and, and making people feel like they matter, it goes a long way to, to making service to our nation a, a valuable experience. So thanks again, guys, for having me. Hey folks, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please rate and review, subscribe and save. We want to reach as many people as possible and these small things make a huge difference in expanding our audience. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Yeah.